Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, alumni friends. I'm John Steele. This is After Four, and this podcast is just for you. And if you're one of our new 2022 alumni, welcome to your post-college life. We are excited to have you join us on this journey. It can be tough, but we're going to make it through together. I'm glad that you're here. Well, I hope you're all enjoying the first week of Easter so far. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And if you hear me talking about the first week of Easter and think, calm down, John, Easter's measured in days, not weeks, then I would say, Hold on to your chocolate bunny, little peep, because I'm about to drop a carton of hard-boiled knowledge into your basket. We recently learned on the podcast that Easter is, in fact, a 50-day season. That's seven weeks of Easter, not just a single Sunday. So if you hear that and think, wow, I wonder if John said anything interesting or important there because I was way too distracted by that hard-boiled knowledge comment to pay attention to the rest, then I would say, yes, I did. But I think this joke has run its course and it's time to move on. But hey, if you didn't catch our Holy Week episodes, grab a handful of Reese's peanut butter eggs and go back and give them a listen. You'll be glad that you did. As for this week, we're chatting with Choma, a SUNY Geneseo alumna who is also a recent grad of the University of St. Louis School of Law. We're going to hear about her life-changing experience at a St. Louis urban program and the impact it had on her as a student, as an InterVarsity staff, and now as a judicial law clerk at the Missouri Court of Appeals. She has an incredible story, and I'm excited to share that with you today. Here's Chioma. Enjoy. Hello, Chioma. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? Doing well. Glad to be here. That's great. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited, too. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. It's always a pleasure to get to chat with alumni. I'm excited to hear about the experiences that you've had post-college and the world that you live and work in. So let's start moving that train forward. Choma, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Yes. Well, starting with college, I got part of an university chapter at SUNY Geneseo, upstate New York. And when I graduated from there, I went to Nigeria and I did some humanitarian work with orphans and widows. And that was for about three months before coming on staff with universities. I moved to St. Louis and I planted a chapter at UMSL. And so my chapter at UMSL was very much surrounded around some of my passions for justice and working with orphans and widows. And then as I was on staff in St. Louis, I feel like I saw more and more issues of justice that could be addressed legally. And before I went on staff, I actually was like studying to go to law school, you know, so it was kind of always a thing for me. But I felt like God put a pause on that and I came on staff with university. But then he was pushing me back in that direction. And even my coworkers were like, this seems like this could actually be a really good fit for you. So then I started studying and uh, my husband and I, we met on staff within our varsity. And so we met, got married, had a kid and moved to Japan and did intervarsity work there for two years, which was one of the best experiences for our family's life. And while I was in Japan, I took the LSATs and got into law school. So then when we came back, I started law school. 
Now I am a lawyer and I'm working at the Missouri Court of Appeals here in St. Louis. And we had a kid while I was in law school. So we have two kids now. Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Doing a lot, you know, doing a lot. This is a life of adventure you have been leading, Choma. This is amazing (laughs) stuff to hear. There's a few places that I'd love to just zoom in a little bit and hear a little bit more about some of these different pieces of your story. So tell me just a really brief history. How was it that you got connected to InterVarsity in the first place? So when I first got to college, we went to one of those organizational fairs and my mom was looking for Christian groups. You know, at first I was just like, this looks kind of lame. I'm not sure, you know, so we found a diversity and they were super nice. But, you know, I was pretty skeptical and I really didn't get involved until my sophomore year that I saw them taking an urban project to St. Louis. So I went with them and came to this church that was doing so much in the city. I just never seen people intentionally move into neighborhoods to serve people that might have been at a different socioeconomic place as them. And the people that were doing it were talking about how Jesus was inspiring them to do these types of things and restore neighborhoods that had been abandoned, restoring homes, restoring the city in ways that I was like, this is awesome. This seems like what we should be doing. And it does seem like it's in line with God's heart, right? So I was fascinated and intrigued. And I think that was really when I started following Jesus to be like, Jesus seems revolutionary. And I think that he could actually have an impact in the world. So I started getting involved and I came back to St. Louis for all of my spring breaks and I spent two summers here as well. Now, I have to ask, is this the City Lights program with the Chapeaux? Yes, it is. I was actually listening to one of your episodes yesterday, and you had mentioned going to St. Louis for an urban project. I was like, that must have been City Lights, so you know. (laughs) Yes, I do. And it felt like it opened up another phase of my faith journey and was super important in me joining staff and taking deeper steps in my relationship with Jesus. And so I'm so grateful for the times that I got to spend there. Okay, so you had this experience going to St. Louis, engaging with the gospel in new and fresh ways that really felt revolutionary for you, like, oh, Jesus is doing something that I haven't seen before, and this feels like stuff that I want to be on board with. Now, I understand there was an Urbana experience that you had, a speaker from IJM. Tell me just a little bit about that experience. So that was my senior year. So after going to several urban projects, both summer, spring break, went to Urbana and heard a speaker... She was an attorney with IJM, and she told just one of the most compelling stories that I've heard about human trafficking and the work that they were doing in it. And she told a story about this woman who was basically in a brothel, who was a sex slave, essentially. And they had been working to try to release her. They came in and essentially rescued her and talked about how she had written scripture on the walls, had written prayers, you know, just a story that really leaves an imprint on your mind. And I think at that point, that was really when I was like, wow, this Jesus and justice, Jesus cares about modern day slavery. We obviously know that that is a thing. And Jesus is in the business of releasing modern day slaves. And I thought that that was really compelling. And also the fact that she was obviously an attorney and someone that had studied the law and was applying it in a way that was setting people free from the chains of injustice. That was incredibly inspiring and obviously added to my attraction to the law. 
That's, that's really interesting. These are just two of many experiences that you've had. Other things have been building into your life, experiences with chapter mates and staff workers and all of these things that are happening. But tell me just a little bit about what was the trajectory that you were on as you were approaching graduation? What were you anticipating next steps of your life looking like from there? The summer after I graduated, I was studying for the LSAT and I knew I was going to Nigeria for this work that I was going to do. And then when I got to Nigeria, there was something about watching these widows when their husband dies, they lose financial stability, they lose a lot. So we were trying to give them a livelihood by teaching them how to sew and become tailors and start their own business. And so just watching them and interacting with them, there was something about this hope that they had in the midst of so much loss. I think that was what compelled me to be like, you know, staff work would probably be hard, but I think I want to try it out because I have a passion to see students experience what I did. When I was in Nigeria, I got interviewed and took a position on staff at the university. And then it sounds like from what you were saying earlier that all of these different experiences centered around Jesus who sees people on the margins, Jesus who cares about people who are experiencing injustice, Jesus who cares about restoring people to a place of being able to function in society, like these very practical in the world experiences that that played a huge role in influencing the way that you staffed with InterVarsity. Tell me just a little bit more about what some of your staff experience looked like. I was planting at a commuter school, University of Missouri, St. Louis. And that was one of the first plants that InterVarsity was really attempting at a commuter school. And I think a lot of what I led students into were the things that I saw Jesus doing in St. Louis City. I wanted them to see how Jesus cared about restoring the city. So I would get them up early on Saturday morning. We would do the Saturday morning work days. One Saturday, we went to a widow's home and helped rebuild her ramp so she could get into her house with a wheelchair. And some of those conversations with people in the city, I think were just really eye-opening for the students and being like, I have lived in St. Louis for this long and have never seen this neighborhood or this part of the city. Why? I've seen them take steps in their faith and how they serve the city and serve people around them. That's been really encouraging. How long were you on staff? I was on staff for probably about eight years. And then when we were in Japan, I actually became a volunteer staff with my husband. So he was on staff full time and I did volunteer staff with him in Tokyo. And I kind of like taught English on the side and did a bunch of other stuff. And then it's while you're in Japan that you study and take the LSAT. Did you know that going to Japan that you were going to start studying and preparing for that? Yes, we did. We knew that going in. So we actually had thought about, do I want to go to law school first and then we try out Japan or should we do it the other way around? We knew that some of our dreams were living overseas together and seeing how our family responds to that and then going to law school and getting that degree. Choma, you're going to join me for another episode later on, and we're going to dig into law school experience and what we can learn from that. And I'm super excited for that conversation. We'll save the nitty gritty details for that conversation, but can you give a flyover of what your law school experience was like for you? Absolutely. Um, It was hard. I mean, as you would expect, (laughs) like law school was incredibly difficult, super busy, just more work than I've ever had to do. And overall, I would say that as time went on, it ended up being a great experience. I found my people, people that 
I could trust, I could study with, I could text, you know, still they're some of my best friends today. So that was great. And then I also was really blessed with a lot of recognition. And I was editor in chief of the Law Journal, which is just a huge honor. I mean, one of the most prestigious honors you can get at any school, right? I was student of the year my last year, and I always joked that it was like law school homecoming queen. I was like, thank you guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. It was was great. So I mean, I I just felt so recognized and seen by my classmates. And that was a unique blessing because I know that not everyone had that experience, right? So again, my faith really led me to want other people to be seen and to recognize those people when I gave my speech for student of the year, because there were people that were working just as hard, if not harder than me, that never got that recognition. So a good learning experience and felt really blessed. So then tell me, how long have you been out of law school and what does your title and role look like now? So I graduated from law school in May of 2021. so almost a year now. And I work currently as a judicial law clerk at the Missouri Court of Appeals. And I'm actually going to be working next year at the federal court. Very excited about that. Moving from state to federal will round out my experience of understanding state courts and federal courts as well. Is that a common experience or is this a result of opportunities that opened up and you got a chance to round out your experience? I would say it's probably the latter. It's not that those opportunities are not available. I will say a federal clerkship is very difficult to land. But I will say that a lot of people take different paths. Some people will go straight into working at a big law firm that has several practice areas. They get a lot of experience and that's great. For me, I preferred starting at the clerkship level. A clerkship is really fun, especially if you're going into litigation because you are literally seeing all sides of an argument and you are working closely with the literal (laughs) decision maker on the law. Like right now, I work shoulder to shoulder with my judge, and we basically sit down in his office and talk through the cases. We talk through both sides. Sometimes there's this rule in Missouri that doesn't make that much sense. Like this is actually not helpful for someone who's getting sent to prison long term. So we're talking about, okay, is this rule going to change? Should it be amended in this way? Things that impact people, you know, we're talking about, we're not going to like change the law in every case that we decide, but it's very interesting to be part of those conversations. And I'm actually writing the opinions and then I send them over to the judge. He edits them, puts it more in his style and we go back and forth and then we finalize it. And then it's published on the legal platform for people to read and reference the precedent. So to quote a modern poet, you get to spend a lot of time in the room where it happens. Uh, (laughs) Love Hamilton. Love it. We're going to see it live pretty soon. Oh my goodness. I think it's coming to Minneapolis soon. Love it. Um, But okay, just to make sure that I'm hearing you correctly, in your conversations with this judge, you're talking about not only the ramifications of the decision for this specific case, but does this decision set precedent that could be referenced down the road and for people to say like, see, this is how this specific case was ruled and that's why it should impact our case in the same way. Yeah. Like on some level, yes. So there's something called cases of first impression. You know, that's the legal term where if something comes before the court and there's no precedent for it, the court that I'm in has never seen it before. Once we make a decision on that, we are setting the standard for the law on that particular issue. So huge, huge influence and power to see things change. Now, I will say that a lot of 
laws have already been established, right? And we're kind of discussing, well, should it be amended? And so there are obviously places where, now that I know that, based on where I go in the future, if I go into policymaking, do I have any influence to see that rule in Missouri change so that people may have different opportunities than they have now? So there are a lot of different aspects and corners to it. But yeah, cases of first impression are pretty cool because you're making that decision for the first time in that court, which sets precedent for the future decisions in that court. As students and as staff, we heard constantly that InterVarsity has a vision of seeing world changers developed. How do you see the work that you're doing as being world changing? Where does your faith live in the midst of this work that you're doing? I mean, I feel like I'm, I feel like it's the definition of world changing. And however, I interpreted the world changer vision when we were in our university chapter. That's how I imagined it. What I'm doing, I love mainly because it impacts the people that I care about. We're doing city lights, for example, seeing people on the ground suffering because of the impacts of redlining, for example, the impacts of like historical racism when it comes to where people live, what money was given to certain groups of people versus other groups of people that have suffered as a result of choices made years and years and years ago, right? And so it's like the law has changed since then. So how are we implementing those laws so that society continues to change and like equality continues to grow? And yeah, I mean, world changers. I I do think that if the law changes in ways that protect people that are vulnerable, we're kind of being the hands and feet of Jesus. I do believe that Jesus sees a lot of people that are somewhat powerless in terms of economic stuff, even like where they live, racial segregation. A lot of things take power away from people to be heard and to even move their lives forward. So I think that if I've been blessed with the mind to get through law school, with the mind to work with a judge to set precedent for things, if I've been blessed with that and been able to move into these places, then I do believe that as a Jesus follower, he influences my heart towards seeing some of those things change so that certain people are protected by the law. Some of the things that you're talking about make me think of the stories that we read that we've heard so many times about Jesus interacting with these unseen people, the people on the margins again. I would say especially in places of healing that these people are in a place where the system that they live in is if you are broken in some way, then it's because of your sin or the sin of your family before you. You're embodying that now. This is your punishment and therefore you live on the outskirts of society. You can't function socially, you can't function economically. And that so often we see the healings of Jesus as like, oh, he physically healed them. That's great. And that is allegorical for the way that he takes sin from us. He heals us of the sin inside of us. And now we are welcomed into the presence of God. And that's true. But it's super easy to miss the social and the economic ramifications that happened for those people because they are healed. Now they're welcomed back into their social structure. They're welcomed back into the marketplace where they can make a living and thrive again. And that Jesus healing wasn't just this spiritual story that was being told. It was also a very real economic and social structure story that was being told. The things that you're sharing, that feels like 
you get to do some of that modern day kind of stuff to help people that are on the fringes who aren't seen be seen and function better in society. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agree with that. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, Jesus, when you think about him healing people with leprosy, for example, what leprosy meant during that time was people not touching this person, complete separation from society. And so it's like for him to restore and heal people, what does that mean for them in their communities? Right. And so making that kind of parallel to today who are those people that are untouchable in a lot of our communities and our society? Thinking about that and thinking about what would Jesus want to see done and how does he want to establish his kingdom in these areas today? That's kind of what inspires the choices that I try to make in my work. It's very much a, if you see your brother without food and clothing, don't just say, oh, go in peace, be warm and well-fed. This is practical first order kind of stuff of what it looks like to live out this upside down kingdom that's pursuing these people, that we can do that practically and that we should be doing that practically. And it's exciting to see. And I also want to acknowledge that it's easy for people listening to this to be like, wow, Chioma, she's doing these great things. So that's what a world changer looks like. I can't operate at that level. I was that person too. Yeah. I felt that way. I'm that person right now. (laughs) So then that influences me to ask a question of like, as you think about people who are stepping out of college and who are wondering, what does it look like for me to just function and to function in a way that continues to develop me as a world changer? You know, with the work that you're doing now, the passions that God has given to you, the experiences that you have, is there a word of advice that you would give to somebody that is in this about to graduate season that they're in right now? They're months, just a couple of months away from graduation. What would you say to somebody that is about to step into that phase of life? Well, to bring in one of our great mentors, Jerry Chapeau, again, one of the things he told me when I was close to graduation was the idea of the greatest needs in the world and some of your greatest passions and gifts uniting and figuring out what does that look like practically to step out and look at what am I gifted at and what do I enjoy? What do I love? And then what are some of the needs in the world that Jesus is calling us corporately as Christians to address? There are a lot of things there. There are lots of careers you could go into and still be looking at the kingdom of God and being like, look, there are needs here. Like accountants, you can give a lot to a lot of people because there are people that have no idea what to do with their taxes, right? I mean, (laughs) taxes are terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel my husband tried to get me to take tax law in law school. I never did because I was still so scared of it. So I still don't know anything about taxes. So accountants could be helpful to me too. But, you know, it's like there's so many careers where there are people in need of the talents that you might have. So that's from a career perspective. You can think about how can your career bless the world and people in need. I think from a practical everyday perspective that doesn't feel as lofty, I think asking yourself daily, what can I do to step into places that feel a little bit more uncomfortable to me, especially in relationships with people? Because that's really where I felt like I learned some of the needs of the world and some of the things that I felt passionate about. Sitting with those widows in Nigeria, sitting and talking to orphans in Nigeria, it was kind of like, wow. They have so much joy and there are so many practical needs that they don't have met, you know, and it's like, what could I do practically to fill some of their physical needs? I mean, it's in 
building relationship with people that are having a different life experience than me, that's kind of where some of that stuff came together for me. If you hear some of my stories, I was overseas and then boom, new thing in my life. I was overseas and then boom, you know, it's like having a new perspective. And for me, even being in another country, in another environment, opening my mind to people that are different than me really opened my heart to take steps in directions that I felt like matched who I am and my passions and gifts and also matched what I think are some of what God is calling me and us to in terms of establishing his kingdom here on earth. What I'm hearing you say is what are your great passions and the needs around you? Where do those things align? And that that's something to pursue. There's still going to be a lot of trial and error around those things, but that's something to pursue. And that the other side is not only your passions, but what are also some of those places that are uncomfortable where maybe you haven't spent a lot of time and that that's also a great place of growth and that those two can actually inform one another in continuing to develop the trajectory of your life, the passions of your life, your calling and what it looks like to be a world changer in your practical every day. I love that. Choma, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing. I mean, I know it's just snapshots. There's so much more that we could hear about, but gosh, it's been really great to hear from an alumna like you working in the places that you do. And I mean, it's a place where we need the redeeming work of Jesus so much. And so it's exciting to me. It's a great encouragement to me to know that this is a part of the world changing journey that you're on. So I have to ask, I already know the answer to this question, but I have to ask, would you come back <laughs> and talk more <laughs> with us? I want to hear more about your law school experience and see how we can translate some of that into what it looks like to thrive in other levels of education beyond your two or four years of college or whatever your college experience looked like. Can we talk about that sometime soon? Absolutely, we will. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What everybody doesn't know is that we're going to record that conversation right after this one ends. Right now. <laughs> right now. Well, Joma, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fantastic. I'm really grateful for you. Yes, you too, John. Thank you so much. This is fun. This is fantastic advice from Choma. Finding where passion and need intersect while also being open to new challenges. And what's even better is that you can see it at work in her story. Each step of her journey showed these principles walking in tandem. Chioma knew she had an interest in social justice. That's what opened her up to that very first urban program trip. But InterVarsity was something she was a bit unsure of. It was an uncomfortable place. But she said yes to that combination of passion and new and uncomfortable. And as a result, she ended up meeting Jesus in a new way that drew her into a real relationship with him. While in Nigeria, she experienced these interactions with widows and orphans that propelled her into staff work with InterVarsity something that she knew would be difficult but would be worth the challenge and the discomfort for a chance to help students experience the loving, just Jesus who sees the unseen. Then she decided to go to law school, an incredibly challenging experience, but one that would allow her to put her passions and convictions into practical use every day in her work for the long term. Each of these decisions had a significant impact on her life's trajectory, and each one led her to a place where she had the chance to lean into strengths and passions along with uncertainty, discomfort, and new challenges. What about you? Where do you see opportunities like these in your life? Maybe you have musical abilities and want to find a place to invest and develop them. I guarantee you there's a church nearby that's looking for musicians. And even though the local church may be a place of discomfort for you right now, what if that's your place to allow passion and discomfort to come together and develop something new and unexpected and even life-giving? Maybe you're feeling stuck in a 9-to-5 job that aside from a steady paycheck doesn't contribute to your life or the lives of others in any meaningful way. 
Why not check out your local community center or Boys and Girls Club or some other local nonprofit that's engaging the community in meaningful ways and start volunteering? It means walking into an unfamiliar space and developing relationships with people you don't know, but it's an opportunity to live into the character of Jesus by seeing the unseen. Maybe after being a leader within university for as many years as you have, you really want a place to put those discipleship skills or small group leadership skills to good use. Well, once again, there's probably a church looking for people who will do those things. Or maybe there's a local university chapter, even if it's not your alma mater, that's looking for a volunteer. Both of which will require some uncomfortable risk on your side, but both of which create opportunities to pursue your passions and continue your world changer development. Where is that space where your passions and the needs of the world come together in a meaningful way? And where are the places where it would be good for you to allow yourself to be challenged and stretched in new ways? It might take a little investigating, but I guarantee that they are out there. Start looking and just see what Jesus might have in store for you. Choma, thanks so much for sharing your story and for giving us a helpful framework for taking next steps in this life pursuit of growing as world changers. I'm excited for our next chat. Okay, that's it for now, but come on back next time for my conversation with Elisha, a 2019 alumnus from Penn State Harrisburg. We're going to hear about his experiences leading a chapter into the pandemic as a volunteer, how he's finding great joy investing in his local church community, and about the journey he's on learning to share his faith in an engineering context. You don't want to miss it, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, turn on notifications, and follow us on socials at After4Pod. Also, don't forget to leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Just follow the link in the show notes or in our link tree. We want to hear from you. Okay, until next time, see you in the after, alumni.